Welcome to the New Beginnings Fellowship Podcast. Wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by today's message. Let's do this. Okay, I'm Ryan Knight. I get the opportunity to preach today. Uh, We are starting an 11-week study of the book of Philippians. Now, I want to show you something. You see this one page? You see this one page? We're spending 11 weeks starting today on this one page of the Bible. And that excites me. That means we are a church that goes deep, and we are going to go really deep. I'm going to be going a lot from the book of Acts, because I want to let you know, Paul, the writer of Philippians, a lot of what we find out about Paul with the church in Philippi is found in Acts chapter 16. So you may, if you want to open up to Philippians, it's like I said, it's one page. It's going to be hard to find. And then Acts is this huge book. The, you know, it's the story of the beginning of the church. Maybe put your finger, in, you know, a thumb over here and that little, I don't know, that weird bookmark thing that comes in Bibles over here in Philippians, you know, because you're going to stay there for 11 weeks. So read with me Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Let's, let's read the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi and the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Before I begin, I mean continue, I need to give you an assignment. I'm going to use a word that the young people like to use, not trying to be cool, I'll embarrass my kids, but I want you, as we are reading through all the way to verse 11, I want you to try to figure out, are you ready for this, my young adults, the vibe. I want you to try to figure out what is the vibe that you're getting from Paul. He's writing this letter. What is the vibe, okay? So let me continue. Verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Start feeling that vibe. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Verse 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus and It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and and, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I'm going to ask you to do something really strange that normally doesn't get asked in church. I want you to talk to someone nearby, and I want you to just really briefly say, what's the vibe? Talk to them about the vibe. What is it? What are you you feeling? What are you talking about? Somebody yell out the vibe. What's the vibe? Love. Peace. 
joy. What else? Encouragement. All those things are right. The vibe that, that Paul has in the book of Philippians is peace, joy. He's, he's writing to people that he loves. Oh, this is going to be a good 11 weeks, but to have a really great, see, good is great. I mean, good is okay. Great is better. We want to have a great 11 weeks, so we want to set up what's called context. I want to give you some context so that you will understand this guy, Paul, who's writing Philippians, where did he come from? Why is he writing in this quote-unquote, vibe of encouragement, love, joy. I mean, when we read through Philippians, you're going to hear so many verses that are like when people are having a rough time, they're the exact verses that you say, oh, oh, yeah, Philippians, and you, you send it to them, and you're like, okay, I've done my job, because it's really encouraging. We, we just read one about, you know, that what the Lord has started in you, he's going to be faithful to complete it. That is one of those really encouraging verses. So we're going to talk about context really quick. Go ahead and bring up this next slide. So I have a few quotes. Um, uh, separate text from context, and that remain, all that remains is a con, okay? Context con- constitutes 90% of a message, words only 10. So basically, if you, you know, you're just reading words, you have 10% of the context, you've got to have more, Right? And then the last one was by me. I made this one up. Uh, Meaning and theological problems arise when one lacks context. So if you don't have context, a lot of times you use verses that don't mean what the verse really means, okay? And that happens when we have a lack of context. So I'm going to have you go through a little exercise with me, okay? Here we go. I need you to close your eyes. I want you right now to, in your mind, Think of a tree. Think of a tree. Okay? Now, just so I don't have any cheaters in here, I want you to whisper to someone next to you, what does your tree look like? What kind of tree is it? Explain it. Go, go. Okay? Okay, okay, good. Okay, now we're going to go to the next part. Some of you aren't outdoorsy, and you're like, what is this tree he speaks of? I don't really know what this is. So I'm going to give some of you guys are football fans, and you think of, uh, you know, football. I can associate this with that. Um, I want you to think of a hot dog. Think of a hot dog. Go. Think of it. Explain to people what the hot dog looks like. Go. Okay. Okay. Now, stop there. Now, I'm going to talk about a tree. Put up my picture of a tree. Is that what your tree looked like? No, our context would be completely different, wouldn't it? Some of you are talking about a tree, like maybe a palm tree, and it's like the beach. I'm talking about snowboarding and skiing, so the context would be totally different, right? Put up the picture of the hot dog. That's what I was thinking of. What were you thinking of? Were you thinking of food? If I'm talking about a hot dog and you're talking about food, we're talking about weird, different things. So do you see how important context is? So we are right now, we're going to provide you with more context than you ever wanted. Here we go. First of all, if we're going to talk about Paul, we have to start here. He was born uh, in a place called Tarsus. Tarsus is 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 a very, like a hub for education. Tarsus was an amazing place, okay? He wasn't Paul. 
he had a dual name. His, his name was actually Saul. He was most likely named after King Saul, okay? And by the way, I won't go into this because I don't have enough time. I know there's a lot of people here that have to go other places, uh, namely chapel. Um, but, uh, but, you know, if you, there's a really cool connection between Saul's life, like King Saul's life, and Saul Paul's life. They're like completely polar opposites. Very interesting. I'll let you try to deduct that or we can have lunch together sometime and talk about it. But Saul, so we need to refer to him as Saul, his family was steeped in, in they were Israelites, they were, they were Jews. But somewhere in their family line, they owned land in Roman territory. So what does that mean? That means that he was a Roman citizen. He had papers. He had something very interesting that most people didn't. He was steeped in, in Judaism, but he also got privileges that Romans got because he had papers saying, I'm a Roman citizen. It's very interesting. One of those privileges was that he had a great education. He was educated under a high Pharisee, someone that was part of the Sanhedrin. And if you can just connect right now what that means, we're not talking about a different time of timeline where we have like Jesus is born, then probably roughly six years later, Saul is born in a different region. So the Sanhedrin... The Pharisees are the same Sanhedrin Pharisees that have a big part in crucifying Jesus. He is taught under Gamaliel. And he is a big teacher. He's a great teacher. He's, he's, he's very close in this, this Sanhedrin. He's very high up in the Sanhedrin. So he's, te- he's being taught by one of the main teachers, a guy that puts in laws to the Jews. It's like, like you, we say this, you do this. Well, that was when he was about 14, 15 years old. Saul then gets a call when he goes back to Tarsus after his studies. He gets a call that they want him to be a Pharisee. They want him to be part of the Sanhedrin. Are you seeing what's happening here? This guy, Saul, is a big deal. He's, he's well-learned, and now he's a Pharisee. Then something happens. Jesus is crucified. Saul doesn't support this movement that was called the movement of the Nazarene. As a matter of fact, after Jesus was crucified, this is so cool, and I need you to know this. There's there's documentation in the Bible. The movement that Jesus started, it had its own name. It was called the way. He did not support the way. The way then turned into what we call Christians. So Saul wanted none of that. He thought it was, it was something that was a problem. The way was a problem. Saul's life as part of the Pharisees puts him in the book of Acts in a very important moment. A time where Jesus has been crucified. His, his apostles are going and preaching and they rally around. Well, rally around would be the wrong thing. That would make it seem positive. They gang up on a man named Stephen. You can find this in the book of Acts. Saul is put in the place of this time with Stephen. Stephen speaks an amazing message. One of the, it's, a, it's a great sermon, and it enrages all the Pharisees. Saul is one of those Pharisees, and many, many people put him in the place of being maybe perhaps the man that threw the first stone at Stephen, 
threw the first stone, started the stoning of Stephen. And then it says in the Bible that the men there, they took their cloaks and gave them to Stephen. Like, like put this down, bam, they killed Stephen. Saul killed a follower of the way. And that probably wasn't the first time or the only time. Saul is known as a killer of the Christian movement. And now I need to go to Acts chapter 9. Now, this is so important. Acts chapter 9. I'm going to, one of the, the tenets of our teaching team is we say, teach them something new. That's what we always want to do is teach you guys something new. I have a feeling we're about to talk about something that is a huge misconception in this church and many churches, okay? This is the conversion of Saul. Acts chapter 9, I'm just going to read it. But Saul, listen to the language here. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Stop right there. Just suppose those words right there with the vibe you got from Philippians. Is that different? He's a different man. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. What's he going to do with these letters? What's he going to do when he finds out where all these synagogues in Damascus are? Well, I'll tell you. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He was looking for supporters of the way, supporters of Jesus, so he could get them, take them back, and persecute them. That's the type of man that Saul was. But then, this is the amazing story. Now, as he went on his way, this is, uh, verse, this is verse three and nine, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from the heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with Saul uh, stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing so they led him by hand and brought him to Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. The road to Damascus, wasn't he wasn't just traveling to go get supplies. He was going to Damascus to enslave followers of the way. So that's the first thing you need to remember about Saul's conversion. The next thing you need to know is we have this weird belief that Jesus changed Saul's name to Paul. Is any, I mean, let's be honest. Does anybody believe that? That, that was, that that's the story? Like, hey, he changed it. That's not true. He didn't. And we'll get into that in just a second. Now, when in Damascus, there's a man named uh, Ananias. And, and listen to this. This is so important. Uh, but the Lord said to him, go, this is to Ananias, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And then Ananias lays his hands on Saul. And they say something like scales came off of his eyes. And he could see again. 
And some would say he could see for the first time. But did you hear that interesting language that was given right there? The Lord told Ananias, he is my chosen instrument to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. This was very controversial because the Gentiles at that time did not deserve, we don't deserve it, but they did not deserve it. And that was what was thought by everyone. The Gentiles don't deserve this message. But the Lord told Ananias, heal him. Because listen to this, he is my chosen instrument. Oh, I knew that was coming, Rex. Thank you. I want you to keep that in your mind because you are his chosen instrument. Know that, believe that. Now, I'm going to stop the timeline and I'm going to just start telling you a few other things that happened in Saul's life. See, when Saul... When Saul converted to Christianity, he didn't change his name to Paul right away. He actually, he preached in synagogues. He actually took a long break, but then he, he preached in synagogues. Um, he he uh, got kicked out of towns. He got put into jail. Um, he was mistaken for a Greek god, and then he was stoned almost to death. And then he was put into jail or, or like house arrest. Um, he was beat up several times. He was had been through an earthquake. He had to deal with snake bites shipwrecks. Did I mention he went to jail? Um, he, you know, oh, one time he was preaching and he was preaching so long that a boy fell asleep and fell out of a window and died. It's in the Bible. He brought him back to life though. Um, he was heavily influenced by Peter and James, James, the half-brother of Jesus. He was heavily influenced by them. And he is, he is known for being a person that took the first missionary journey. Okay, now let's go back to this name change business, okay? This name change business. Saul was born and he had an interchangeable name. One was more of like a Jewish type name, Saul, and Paul was more of what we would say a Hellenistic name, like, like the Gentiles would, would, uh, like, it would appease them a little bit. It would be a little bit more palatable for them because it was a name that they were common, Okay. So I want you to think about, has anybody ever heard of a man named Peter Jean Hernandez? Raise your hand if you've ever, nobody. Okay, I kind of figured that much. Uh, I will just tell you, Peter Jean Hernandez uh, is an amazing entertainer. Like, um, voice is amazing. As a matter of fact, while he's growing up, he would do um, impersonations of, of Elvis, and he, people just thought he was amazing, and he was actually touted to be the next Latino pop star, like the big thing. They actually said he's going to be like the next Enrique Iglesias. And that's really awesome. Like, I would go for that. You know, I think that's pretty cool to be the next big Latino pop star. But that, he didn't want that. He didn't want that. He wanted to be, he wanted to be like appear to more people than, than just the Latino uh, section of music. And so he changed his name. He changed his name to something that wouldn't be so, um, so, I guess, associate him or pigeonhole him into one type of music. He changed his name to Bruno Mars. Yeah, that's for real. You can look it up. Changed his name to Bruno Mars. And if you've heard of Bruno Mars, I mean, he has some, like, very catchy tunes. Um, some of them I would not endorse, but some of them are pretty catchy, okay? 
But see, that's exactly what Paul did. And when you look at theologians that are studying Paul's life, Paul was like, okay, these people know me as part of the Sanhedrin. They know me as a Pharisee, as a killer of Christians. At one point in his ministry, I mean, you can see it all through Acts. He's basically referred to as Saul all through Acts. Saul, Saul, Saul. Jesus even calls him Saul, right? But at some point, he decides this Paul name is the name, since I'm the instrument that is supposed to reach the Gentiles, I'm going to use it. I'm going to use Paul. I love that. New teaching. I hope you, I hope you, uh, Hope that means something to you. Now, I'm going to go into now Acts 16. And for the sake of time, I want to paraphrase a little bit. Paul and Silas. I like Silas. We have a good Silas here at our church. He's a good guy. Uh, Paul and Silas, they go, they're on their missionary journey, and they go to Philippi. This is found in chapter 16 of Acts, okay? You can follow along. But they go and What's interesting is they are looking for synagogues. But you know what? They find none in Philippi. So they go to this place where they think people are going to be praying, and there's a group of women that are praying. One of them uh, who is praying uh, is a a lady uh, named Lydia. And Paul's words so speak to her that she... She's a seller of purple goods. That doesn't mean anything to you or I, except for she sold expensive things to rich people, okay? But she is so moved by Paul's words that she becomes a follower. And then there's a key there, because it says this in Acts 16. It says, she and her household. Would you keep that and her household really, like, firmly in your mind? Because we're going to come back to that. And then... They go into Philippi after this time when Lydia is, is uh, converted, and there's this slave girl. Follow with me. There's this slave girl. She's demon-possessed, but she's owned by someone, and by her being demon-possessed, she is a fortune teller. She can go to people and get money for the people that own her to tell their fortune. And she is following Paul and Silas all through Philippi. And she's not just following them. She's like a siren behind them. Like, these people know the Lord Jesus Christ. These people are followers of the way. Like, she's just doing this. And, and it actually, it's really fun uh, how this says. Um, if you look at verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 18, it says, And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, even saints can be annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her at that very hour. We're probably thinking, all right, his time in Philippi, he's you know, making converts, he's doing good, he just got a demon out of this little girl. Well, that wasn't a good thing actually because the people were not very happy that owned her because she is no longer a way to make money. She's no use to them now and they're mad so they take him in the streets and they beat him. And then other people come in the streets and they beat them. And then the magistrates come and they say, beat them with rods. Beat them senseless. Make them suffer. Then throw them into jail. Throw them into jail. This is all in, in, in chapter 16 of Acts. Throws them into jail. Summary, if you want to go to the summary here, the summary of, of what happened is they're in jail. They're singing praises to the Lord. Singing praises to the Lord. They, uh, then an earthquake comes. 
and foundations are shaken, chains are broken, their chains are just broken wide open, the doors are open, the jailer whose only job, you've heard that terminology, your only job, his only job was to make sure that they stay there in jail. Well, he starts to get crazy and desperate because he doesn't know, oh my goodness, if they're gone, I'm done for. He actually contemplates suicide. He's going to kill himself. And then he hears a voice like, no, we're here, we're here. And the jailer then realizes the character of these men and he says, what must I do to be saved? And he becomes a a follower of the way, a follower, a Christian. And then it says again, that his household was baptized as well. Remember Lydia's household? She followed, her household followed. The jailer, he followed, his household followed. Um, I just want you guys to know, anybody that is a parent or plans to be a parent, your connection with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has huge ramifications on the rest of your family. If you have a true relationship with Jesus Christ, and you are pursuing him daily, even as hard as it is, as crazy as it is, you're in your word daily, and you are praying for your kids, it makes a profound difference. That means so much that we see that two times in Philippi. You know what they must have been thinking in Philippi? They must be thinking, man, this Jesus thing is real because it's not so much the story about Paul, it's the story of Jesus that Paul is willing to suffer for. And it brings us to this question when we get into Philippians, are we willing to suffer just a little bit to share the gospel? Pastor Richard said something really amazing last week. He said, when did we as Christians get all wimpy and weak? We're not. We're not. And I'm going to show you uh, again in the scripture. Uh, this is so amazing. I, I, you know, I, I appreciate you guys letting me just like read so much scripture, but this is so good. If you look in Acts chapter 16, verses 35 through 40, and I'll, I'll paraphrase it. I just don't want you to know where it is. So basically, all this happens, and the magistrates, they find out that, that Paul is Roman citizen. And they're like, oh man, we messed up. We shouldn't have done this. And so they say, hey, 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 police, you guys go tell the jailer that they're free to go. You go, you go tell them, because they were scared. I mean, there was just an earthquake. They could have broke out of prison, but they didn't. They're like, there's something to this Jesus of Nazareth that, that, that Paul and Silas are, are sticking with him. And I want to read something to you. This is Acts chapter 16. I'm going to start at verse 37. But Paul says to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison, and do they now? Do they now want to throw us out secretly? Listen to Paul's authority. No, with an exclamation mark. No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. I need you to know something. When you decide to follow Jesus Christ, even when it doesn't seem logical, even when things don't make a lot of sense, but you're obedient, there is power in that, there is strength in that, and you have to stand on the word of God and the proof that he will come through. 
He will come through. Now, when we, when we talk about these things, now you have context of the where, where it began in Philippi. That all happened in Philippi. And that wasn't his only visit to Philippi because churches started growing in Philippi. So much to the point where when, uh, this is, makes me sad because I feel really old, but when, when uh, Paul was right, like 47, that's my age, he was put into to house arrest. And this was the last time that he was put into house arrest. And this is where he wrote some of his great letters. The uh, letter to the church of Philippi is one of them. But in this letter, he talks to them about how they have supported him through these many years. There's probably a good 10 to 15 years between this moment and this other time that he's writing to them that they have supported him. They've supported him financially. They've supported him emotionally. They, they have not just let him go into like this, this, this place where they don't even think about him anymore because he's in jail, which that was a very common thing. If you were put into prison, they're like, oh, we don't want to associate with that. No, they knew his heart. They knew who he was. So now that we know all of this background about Philippi and about Paul, let's read really quickly Philippians 1 through 11 one more time. Let's see how this rings more true. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. I love that he puts this in there because you know what that means? He means you had no churches and now you have overseers and deacons. You have structure. You are the church. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your, now you know about the partnership, partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Does it make more sense? And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will, uh, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. They've been through some stuff together. Verse eight, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more... Just stop and listen to how beautiful this prayer is. And it is my prayer for you that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and, be, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul had some bad stuff happen to him. Pastor Jeremy pointed me to this scripture. This is from Genesis 50, 19 and 20. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. 
Why do I parallel that verse with the life of Paul? It's simple. The Paul who we are reading the letter from in Philippians is not the same Saul that we see in Acts. He's the same cells. He's got the same heart that beats. He's got the same lungs. He's got the same brain, but he is completely transformed. He is different. And by the way, can I just say, he was atrocious. Let me ask you this. While we're talking about Saul slash Paul, did any of you feel a twinge of, man, I relate to that? I relate to that. See, Paul was nothing like what we see in Philippians. Yet, he was God's chosen instrument to the Gentile world. You hear this message all the time, this, we kind of like, kind of, make it something that we say all the time, but like, it doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter where you've been. I'm, I think I'm singing a, a NSYNC song right now or something. As long as you love me. No, it doesn't matter what, what, where you've been, what you've done. It doesn't matter where you are right now. But what does matter is whether or not you are willing to be the chosen instrument of Jesus Christ. So we're gonna do something really quickly while this beautiful music plays. I need you to do me a favor. I need you to close your eyes, and I want you to have a little quick time of prayer. We're going to do some, like, like practice some prayer right now. I want you to just pray for a second, just for a brief second. Where are you? Ask the Lord, where am I? And then say, God, where do you want me to be an instrument for you? Ask him right now. See, Paul writes this letter to, the, to, to those in uh, Philippi because these people are people that brought him so much joy. So I want you to now pray to the Lord and just ask, Lord, can you show me a group of people that, that bring me joy, that, that I could be an instrument for you, your instrument of choice for you? Pray right now and identify that group. Now that you are choosing in your life to be an instrument for him, his chosen instrument, and you've chosen this group of people that maybe the Lord has put an inclination on your heart, I want you to pray exactly like Paul prayed this morning. I want you to pray for those people right at this very moment. Pray that, that their love can abound more and more, and it can give them knowledge and discernment in whatever circumstance they're in. Would you do that for me? Pray right now. Thank you, Lord. Your heart should be moving right now. I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to tell you who I thought of. I thought of people that brought me joy. I thought of my family. And I thought of young adults, especially at the, the, the place where I work. 
they are a pleasure to be around. If you couldn't locate some of those people that bring you joy, if you are not sure that, I don't know if I can be your chosen instrument right now. I don't know. It's okay. I'm going to ask you not to, to like pressure you into a decision right now, but here's what I am going to ask you to do. There's this connection card. And they're located all over. And if you don't have one, it doesn't matter. Someone will hand you one. I guarantee it. But you write down that I am interested in being an instrument for Jesus Christ, but I'm not so sure I know how to do this. And we will lead you to the feet of Jesus personally. If you've already done that, like this very moment, you're like, I know this morning I've made that choice. Would you just let us know? Would you let us know that you, you made that choice to follow him? I'm excited for our future. I'm excited for your future because if you can recognize that Saul was a complete mess, but even as the complete mess, he was the chosen instrument to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, he can do so much with my mess then, and I guarantee it. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to lead by saying we are the church that radically loves, serves, and encourages. And then you're going to get up, and you're not going to leave normal. You're going to leave as an instrument. You're going to leave as people with marching orders. You're going to leave and do some major, major things for the kingdom this week. Is that agreed? No, I said, is that agreed? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this series. I thank you for what you're going to teach us. I thank you for context. I thank you for the people here. I thank you for your love surrounding us, Lord. I ask right now if anyone made a decision to follow you, that it is clear, it is, it is firm. I pray that people decided this morning that they are an instrument for you. I pray that they've identified people that bring them joy. And I, I just pray that they will continue to pray that their love will abound more and more and more so they can seek knowledge and discernment in whatever situation they have. Lord, we love you. You are a great God in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about New Beginnings Fellowship, connect with us or give, visit nbfhollister.org. Have a great week. And remember... We are the church who radically loves, serves, and encourages.